Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is uh, from the book of Romans, uh, chapter 2, and we're reading verses 1 through 16. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, condemn yourselves, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the richest of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impertinent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who seek, who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. For all have sinned without the law and will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous, but, but righteous before God, but the doers of the law who are will be justified for when the gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires they are a law unto themselves even though they do not have the law they show that their work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel god judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let me put it this way. I, I, like, I like to think that God is real. I don't believe in God because the idea that an omniscient, loving being would judge me who is mortal and ignorant based on a few years' experience I find to be rather a cruel thought. All the power that God has, he, she, it has given to me. So we're definitely one. I hope, I hope there's, there's something else out there. It'd be, it'd be fun to experience either that or we're all just evolved apes. Um... I was raised atheist. I don't believe in a higher power, but I also don't claim to know everything about the world. I don't know. I don't know if there is one. I just pretend, I guess, and hope that there's something else out there. Good morning again to everybody here, and good morning to those tuning in online through one of our online sources. For those who do not know me, my name is Patrick, and I'm the pastor here at Christ's Word Church, and we are in the middle of, well, second week of a new series called Explore God, 
And if you've seen around our community, you may see that there's several other churches doing the exact same series, which doesn't always happen. In fact, very often it doesn't. And as I shared last week, that may make you think that we just all happen to go to the same website to download our sermons. And that's not the case. We actually are doing this intentionally to show uh, solidarity with one another that it's important that we together as a community, no matter what tradition you come from, what church you may or may not go to, that we all have big questions about the faith and we want to explore those. Does anybody remember the question we wrestled with last week? Anybody? Clutter? Different series, but I'm glad that you remember that. We discussed purpose. The first question we wrestled with last week was, does life have a purpose? And so we, we, it was a very eloquent talk. We were all convinced. So for those who weren't here, I'm sorry you missed it. Uh, but this week we're going to be discussing perhaps an even bigger question. Is there a God? It's a big question, isn't it? So before we tackle that question, I would like to pause for prayer. So let us pray together. God, it seems interesting that here we are praying to you, but yet asking the question of whether you exist or not. But it's not that uncommon. Perhaps there have been times of unbelief in our life, and maybe we're in one now where we, we pray, hoping maybe someone listens. So we pray now, hoping that you're there, hoping that you are listening, asking for your guidance as we look into things the Bible has to say, to see what others have to say, we pray that your Spirit would be upon us, helping us to receive that message, to hear you, to see you, to know you. And Lord, I pray that as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten, but may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, amen. Adolescence. Got your attention there, didn't I? I was like, oh, where's he going with this? How many of you, if you could go back in time, would relive your teen years, go back to adolescence? Anybody here? Yeah, it's kind of what I thought. Most of us, I mean, if you haven't been there yet, you yearn for it, right? It's like, when I'm a teenager, when I can drive, when I could go buy a lottery ticket or whatever. But then, after we've been through it, most adults would never want to go back. It is a tough time of life, isn't it? And it's even tougher now, I would venture to say. The complexity of living in today's world is astounding, and the things that adolescents and teenagers have to navigate at this age is astounding to me. It's so difficult. I mean, so many changes are happening in adolescence, right? We'll have our biology lesson here real quick. Health, health class. I mean, it, it is, it's weird because, I mean, things are changing. Your body's changing. Your voice cracks for the men. I mean, I had an cr- incredibly cracky voice. It was awful. Hi, It sounded awful. And you just, it, it's just the, trying to figure out your place. And then, you know, the differences between males and females really start to come out during that time. And you realize we, we even think different. It's just odd. And then, you, and then the, the, whole, the whole topic of your parents. These people that you once 
idealized. I mean, both of my boys now will hug me and they'll say, best daddy ever. They both love to say that. I love to hear it, but I know that there's going to come a day where they're not going to say that anymore. In fact, I'll be lucky if they say, I love you. It'll be like, you're wrong, dad. I don't know. I mean, you start to question your parents, right? It doesn't matter that one day, one, you know, you used to idealize them and they, and they never had a wrong answer. You would do, if they said jump, you jump, at least some of the time. But you trust completely. And then there comes a day that you don't feel like you can trust anything coming out of their mouths. They are stupid. I mean, how did I survive so long under the parenting of my parents? Because they obviously don't understand the world. I mean, mom doesn't even understand what Facebook is. I mean, Congress doesn't understand how Facebook works, so it's pretty clear that my parents wouldn't know either. How do you Facebook? What is this internet? How do you make money on a website that you don't charge for? Advertising? You know, it's just you start to question everything about your parents, and you begin to think that you are smarter, at least you think that you're smarter. And the questions aren't just about your parents, really your whole worldview and your faith, they aren't exempt either. You start to look at those things and start to figure out, I've said this all along, but do I really, do I really believe this? Questions are commonplace, especially when it comes to talking about God, too, aren't they? Our, our faith is an evolution. It's a, it's a growing thing. And, you know, I think about it, you know, being in church as a young child, you start to, you know, I, I learned the Lord's Prayer before I even knew what I was saying. A lot of us who grew up in different things, it's, maybe it's not even church. You, you grow up in home and you, there's some tradition you do and you, you just do it and you don't even know what you're doing. But it's just, it's what we do. So we grow in our understanding and it's okay that we have seasons of doubt. That's common, isn't it? We have seasons of doubt and questioning. It's completely normal. We all think about God or a higher power from time to time, don't we? Even if we conclude that we do not believe, there are times that we wonder, just like we wonder, is there life elsewhere in the universe? Is there more as we learn? As we find some answers, we just find we have even more questions, don't we? Even as we learn about this earth on which we live, we find there's far more questions than we tend to find answers. There's depths of oceans that we just still don't know. We don't even know how the human mind and brain really works. And so we question. In this incredibly complex world, we wonder. And this isn't new, is it? We've been asking these questions since the beginning of time. Since humanity started walking this earth, we've been questioning, asking, wondering about this higher power. I mean, we see all these wealth of different religions of people trying to answer the same question. Is there something more? Is there something higher? There's this longing within humanity to want to know. And so we've looked to the stars. We've gazed to the heavens wondering if there's something greater. And our understanding has evolved, hasn't it, over time? 
what we've come to understand about our world and about a higher power. Just like children growing up and maturing, we've grown in our understanding. It's interesting, as, a, as I think about children learn their faith, I uh, ran across a bunch of letters that children had written to God. And so I wanted to share some of these with you of just uh, of how our minds work, especially in an early age. Dear God, I read the Bible. What does beget mean? Nobody will tell me. Love, Allison. It's a good question. God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. Frank. Dear God, are you really invisible, or is that just a trick? Lucy. Did you really mean do unto others as they do unto you? Because if you did, I'm going to fix my brother, Darla. God, it's okay that you made different religions, but don't you get mixed up sometimes? Arnold had to say that. Dear God, how, how come you did all those miracles in the old days, but don't do any now? Seymour. It's a good question. It's a very adult question. Dear God, I wish there was no such thing as sin. I wish there was no such thing as war. Tim. I'm with you there, Tim. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works for, with me and my brother, Larry. Maybe so. Maybe they needed their own rooms. See, the problem for us is if God doesn't answer or write back, eventually we begin to wonder if he exists at all. You know, silence breeds doubt, doesn't it? Silence breeds a whole lot of things. You see it in relationships and in marriages and friendships. When they're silent, there's misunderstanding. Have you been there before? Have you been there before when you just felt an oppressive silence from God? And you're asking for a sign, send me a miracle, and there's nothing. Are you there now? Are you asking God to show up? See, the, the good news is, is that I'm here to tell you that God is not intimidated by our questions, and neither are we at Christ the Word Church. If you don't believe in God, then you don't have to worry about whether God cares or not about your questions. So continue to ask them, continue to explore. But I'm here to tell you that we embrace your questions because here's the truth. We all have questions. Even people who have been long in their faith life and we would lift up and say, this person has just a miraculous, amazing faith and I look up to them. Those individuals have questions. Those individuals have doubts we all have questions and doubt. We've all written letters to God. Even if it wasn't a literal letter, we've all tossed up prayers in the midst of struggles, haven't we? I've heard plenty of unbelievers pray. Let's just see what happens. I'll, I'll pray, you know, God, if you're there, I need you. And though God may not write 
his name in the sky or respond with a letter or handwritten note. He's given us lots of indications of his presence. There is evidence of God if we but have eyes to see. See, it's interesting to me, one of my, my favorite phrases that I've heard about God is, is about likening God to wind. And it's interesting to me, it's, it's, it's not too far from the truth because in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for spirit that is used throughout Scripture is ruah. And the word ruah can mean spirit, but it also can mean wind and breath and all that gives life, the life force. All mean the same thing. So the same word for spirit is the same word for breath and for wind. And when you liken God to the wind, that you know they say that God is like the wind. You can't see the wind. You can't catch the wind. But you can see the, the impact. You can see the evidence of the wind. What is some of the evidence of God that you see in nature? For those who are believers in the room... When you look to nature, what are the things you look at and you're like, that's, that's obviously God. There has to be a God. Anybody? What are some of the things that just capture your breath and make you assured there has to be something greater? The ocean. Sunrise. When a, how a seed blooms. and Yeah. Snowflakes, says the photographer who takes pictures of snowflakes every winter, I can attest to. Anybody else? Do you see evidence of God in nature? Trees. See, there are natural indications of God. In fact, Scripture points to these. In theology, we call it general revelation. General revelation is that there is evidence of God out there for all to see, for anybody, whether you're a believer or not a believer, there is evidence all around us from the trees to the ocean to the sunrise to the sunset to seeds and, and the trees growing from that, that there is evidence of God. In fact, in the book of Psalms, which is a collection of songs and poetry, uh, the psalmist puts it this way. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun. And then in Paul's letter to the church in Rome... He has this to say. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God is out there in the world, in the natural world. And the digger we begin to look, the, the deeper we begin to dig into this, we can start appreciating it even more. When you look at how the wor- world works, 
I mean, what's amazing is, you know, you mentioned the ocean. You mentioned the sunrise. It's amazing to me that how the tides at the ocean are affected by the gravitational pull of the moon. And all that has this creative order which affects the life that lives in the ocean and on the shoreline. We've learned through our understanding of biology in the world that you change one little piece, it affects the whole system. I mean, that's why topics of global warming are so important to have because how does that affect? If you change the degrees of the ocean, however it may happen, it affects everything. Everything, all life is tied together. It's intricate. There's an old argument, a proof, if you will, arguing for God. It's called the teleological argument. If you want to sound smart when you're talking to other people, say, well, the teleological argument says this. So if you break, break it apart, I'll share with you the argument, but teleo, that word, the prefix, means complete or the end. So it's the complete look, the complete study, the overarching. And so this argument has, is, is an old argument. It's been used by Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato, just to name a few. Even more modern-day people would point to this. But the argument is this, is that nature exhibits complexity, an incredible order, adaptation, purpose, and beauty. So are you with me on that? We agree that all that is true. With that being true, it exhibits features that cannot be explained by random or accidental processes, but only as a product of mind. Here they're pointing out that just when you look at the chance that all this could happen, do we really believe it just happened? When we look at astrophysics and find out just how something can be off by you know, however many decimal places there would not be life on earth, it really makes you wonder, I mean, did it just happen? Really? Or was there something more? Is there something driving it? If there was a big bang, who shot the gun? If there was nothing, then how was there something to begin with? If there was a beginning, something had to initiate the beginning. And so that's this argument here. It says, therefore, there exists a mind that is produced or is producing nature. That mind that produces nature, by definition, is God. Therefore, God exists. This is an argument just looking at created order and saying, because of all of this, there has to be something more. God's been fine-tuning the universe. We learn more and more every day about the world beyond our world. The stars and other galaxies, the vast nature of everything. Do we believe that that points to a higher being? But we need not just look at natural evidence. We can look at it from other standpoints as well. We can look at Ethical indicators. This is more of a philosophical approach. Where does our reason originate? Where does it come from? Morality. Our view of what is right and wrong. What's interesting is that there's some common morality that extends beyond cultures, beyond different religions, to all races, to all people, no matter whether you're Christian or not, that are generally agreed upon. 
You even look at the United Nations trying to figure out when we go to war, there are some things that just aren't right. And so we agree upon these coming from different standpoints. If, if all of this is happening and then there's this, this natural morality in us that there are some things that just we know implicitly are right and wrong and it irks us when we see them happening, where did that come from? Because many of those same things an animal would look at and not think twice about. But yet we would look and go, that, that's not right. We even do it to things that really don't affect us. I mean, I, I would get it if it's all self-preservation, right? If it's self-preservation, then it's easy that we're doing it to survive. But we will go out on a limb sometimes for things that don't affect us, even putting our lives in danger because we say, no, that, that's, that's not right. Where does that come from? Did that just appear with the dust? As stardust came together to form all that is, is that where our morality came from? Or is there a standard that exists outside of us that is built into us? And if so, how did it get there? Who placed it there? Paul speaks of this again when he is writing to the church in Rome, this time in chapter 2. Verse 14, for when Gentiles, anytime he says Gentiles, that just means non, uh, non-Jews, the Greeks. And so the, for when non-Jews who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. It's written in their DNA. You don't have to be a believer to share this common morality. Where does it come from? Philosopher put it this way, if God does not exist, everything is permitted. If there is no God... Why do we even have to have morality? For what purpose? What purpose does it serve if there is no God? Doing the right thing, for what point? Why? If you don't have to. But do we think that everything should be permitted? Something doesn't feel right about that. What are some of the things that have proved God to you or brought you to the conclusion that, yes, there is a God? What experiences have you been through? What evidence have you seen? We're not asking people to make big leaps and just say, just say it, just say, there's, there's a God. What evidence have you looked, have you dug Have you explored? Because there is evidence. Where does the evidence draw you? You One of my favorite writers is C.S. Lewis. If you know the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the best series there is next to Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, if you ask me. And what's interesting is that Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were incredible friends. 
They often met in the pub to discuss their different worlds and their different mythology, and they would talk about it. And when C.S. Lewis first met Tolkien, Tolkien was not a believer. Or actually, no, it was the other way around. C.S. Lewis, sorry, I mixed that up. C.S. Lewis, who came to write all these amazing Christian works, he was a devout atheist. And so when they're debating about Middle Earth and Narnia, they were also bring up topics of faith. And Tolkien would share with him, this is, this is how I see it. This is the evidence I see. This is how I see the world. And over time, C.S. Lewis came to understand that there had to be a higher power. He was an incredibly brilliant man. And one day he looked at the evidence. He has this quote in one of his works, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Isn't that interesting? Where does the evidence lead you? Statistics show that 80 to 85% of people believe in God even among those who do not consider themselves religious. 80 to 85% of people would say, yeah, there's, there's something. There's a God, there's a higher being, there's a higher power. Maybe it's the force. But 80 to 85 people believe there is something. Are you among them? And even more, are you living a life as if God exists? Last week, we discussed that there's a difference between saying and then believing and living in light of that belief. Are you living in a way that you believe God exists? Another great writer by the name of A.W. Tozer wrote this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What's the most important thing about you? What comes into your mind when you think about God, when you consider God? Can belief be a good thing? Can it? I mean, I'm I'm not here trying to enlist anybody to a cult. I'm not starting a cult. Frankly, I don't want you staying at my house, and I don't have Kool-Aid. So I'm not inviting you into something. I'm not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. I'm not trying to get money out of you. I'm here standing week by week sharing what I've come to understand to be truth because I believe it changes lives. It makes a difference. It has in my life, and I believe it can in yours if it hasn't already. I've examined the evidence, even in my doubts, even in my skepticism, even in my questioning. And time and time again, the evidence keeps leading me back to there has to be something more. There has to be. But is it good? 
Is it good? I believe it can be very good. If each person were to truly believe and to live not only as if God exists, but care, but cares for us and plans for us, what would change in our lives? What would change in your life if there is a God and you believe it and this God actually cares about you? How would it change our families? How would it change our schools and our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our city? How would it be changed if this belief was there? Would the world be a better place? Now, I want to be clear. The disclaimer I have is I'm not talking about a religiosity that gets confused with politics and comes wrapped up in a particular party. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a faith that drives us to look at this world and to see it differently, to look at other people and see them differently. Because when I look at each and every one of you, I see a creation of God, a child of God, an heir to the kingdom. That's what I see. No matter what you're wearing, how you may smell, what color you may be, what language you may speak, it doesn't matter. You are a creation of God. And what shapes that view? That there is a God that you are a child of. Imagine if we lived in a way that God, imagine if we lived as if God was with us always. That would be enough to change the world, wouldn't it? If everyone lived with that belief, the world would be a very different place. I think we would question a little bit more about pointing weapons at one another if we all believe this. The evidence is there and it seems to be overwhelming to point to the existence of God. And coming to that understanding has led me to a life of purpose, of hope, and of healing. And that is what I want for each and every one of you. But you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to believe me if you don't want to. It's okay to have questions, but I just ask that you do seek and explore. Maybe you're not there yet, but far too many people seem to come to an answer without ever exploring that question and seeking that answer. Explore away. Let me know if you need a conversation partner. I'm here. That's why they pay me the big bucks. I want to be here. If you need, if you want, just, I can even shut up and listen. Believe it or not, ask Kate. There are times that I can shut up and listen and I don't have to talk. If you need a conversation partner, I'll treat you to a cup of coffee. Let's go to lunch. Let's talk about it. Let's explore. Because I believe when we seek God with our whole heart, we find God. He's there. The bottom line is this. The evidence of God comes from creation, it comes from our morality, it comes from our intelligence, it comes in our understanding of love. Once we establish that we must be, there must be a God, we are ready to start to discover just exactly who God is. 
And that's a different question for a different week. Is there a God? Wrestle with the answers. Or what? wrestle with the questions. And together, we'll seek the answers. Amen.